Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, as we do each week, we ask you to be here with us in this place. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I hope everyone is well recovered from the 4th of July. I feel a little bit like the uh, very hungry caterpillar from that children's book. You, you, you know the one, he uh, pops out of his egg on Sunday, um, and he's very hungry, and so on Monday he eats through one apple, but he was still hungry. On Tuesday he eats through two pears, but he was still hungry. And sort of throughout the week, he eats through a bunch more fruit, all good stuff. But then Saturday comes. On Saturday, and tell me if this sounds like you, yesterday, he eats through one piece of chocolate cake, one ice cream cone, one pickle, one slice of Swiss cheese, one slice of salami, one lollipop, one piece of cherry pie, one sausage, one cupcake, and one slice of watermelon. That night, he had a stomachache. The next day was Sunday again, and he had to drag himself out of bed to get to church on time. Come on. More laughter, please. (laughs) Actually, truth be told, I did all my eating, my holiday eating, on July 3rd. Um, You can change that one piece of chocolate cake to three, I think. Leaving my stomach so stressed out that it led a rebellion against the rest of my body. And so my Independence Day eating consisted of one small glass of orange juice and four pieces of toast. So that's how I celebrated the birth of our great nation, toast. That's just the kind of wild and crazy guy I am. Though I might not have spent a lot of time eating in honor of freedom and independence, I did do some thinking about freedom and independence, it being the 4th of July weekend and all, and One of the verses that I kept finding my brain returning to again and again is tragically not on the schedule this morning. It's Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, for it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's like the most 4th of July verse in the Bible, right? It's a crime that we didn't actually read it in church. An incredible oversight from the people who made the schedule of readings. I don't know who they are, probably British people or something. (laughs) In the spirit of Independence Day, though, I did want to say just a word this morning about freedom, um, but mostly I want to talk to you about weakness. Because in our lesson from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, uh, we have this little section where St. Paul is talking to us about a thorn in his flesh. And I'm convinced that this is um, more in line with our experience of our lives than any much talk about freedom 
would be. And you know, just as an aside, if anybody uh, tells you they know exactly what the thorn in St. Paul's flesh was, you can just start ignoring them right then. Because no one knows, and anyone who tries to tell you they do know is blowing smoke about something. Anyway, Paul is talking about humility in this section. I love how he starts it with this sort of weird story about some guy he knew that 14 years ago was caught up into heaven, whether in the flesh or in the spirit. I don't know. I don't know much about this guy. But I do know that if I was going to brag about somebody's holiness, I'd brag about him. But as for me, says St. Paul, all I can brag about is my weakness. And he says that in order to keep him from becoming too elated, or we might say too conceited, that a thorn, has been given to him in his flesh, some trial that he just can't overcome. Now, most of us, maybe not you, but certainly the person sitting to your left and to your right, and probably the person in front of you and behind you too, is dealing with something like this in their lives. Some trial that we just can't get over. Maybe it's something as simple as those last pesky five pounds or the bills that just keep on coming at the end of every month, even though you haven't quite paid off last month's yet. That broken relationship with your sister, that youthful indiscretion that just keeps coming up in your life, that unfortunate thing that you said to your spouse that keeps getting thrown back in your face no matter how often you apologize. Like Paul, we beg for God to intervene in these matters. Take this away from me. Make my life a little easier. We ask time and time again for these burdens to be removed from us. But God, if he's listening to us at all, seems to be saying no. Because we wake up again each morning with our thorns still firmly in place. Now, at least Paul seems to get some kind of answer, even though it's an unsatisfying one. To Paul, the Lord says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, on the surface, this is really lame. Like, extraordinarily lame. It doesn't feel great to be told that, no, God isn't going to take away that thing that's preventing you from being happy and satisfied, but actually, he's going to use it to teach you a lesson about what's really important in life. Thanks a lot, God. (laughs) The longer our thorns remain, the longer our struggles persist, the harder and harder it is to claim that we are not weak, that we are not in need. But we hate weakness. We have an allergy to anything that might make us feel or appear to be weak. You know how when you've interviewed for a job in your life, they always ask you to come up with a 
couple of weaknesses. You know, list five strengths and three weaknesses. It's one of those standard interview questions, so standard that the people who prepare you for job interviews tell you to plan out what your strengths and weaknesses are going to be before you even go in. So they seem like they're right on top of your head. But what to say when someone asks you to list three weaknesses? You, of course, want your weaknesses to be as strong as possible, right? You want, you want strong weaknesses. And the classic go-to weakness of my interviewing career was, wait for it, perfectionism. <laughs> it's pretty good, right? I had a whole spiel about it, too. I just want things to be perfect, and so I occasionally have trouble delegating tasks to others. When I know that I can do something really well myself, I just tend to do the job so that I know it will be done to a high standard. That's a job that I just got, right? You know what I'm talking about? The trick is to choose weaknesses that are actually strengths for the person you're interviewing with. Sometimes it becomes a weakness to be as smart as I am. <laughs> I, don't, I don't give others a chance to contribute as much as I should because I know so quickly what the right thing to do is. Yeah, right. You see, even when we have to fess up to a weakness or two, we think of a strong weakness, like perfectionism or <clears throat> overintelligence. There's a scene in a, in a great sitcom that none of you have ever seen because nobody ever saw it, um, called Community, which is set on the campus of a community college where um, two friends are talking, and one friend is being made fun of by other students for wearing his high school letter jacket to college. Now, of course, you would make fun of such a person. And he asks his friend, he says this, People have been clowning me about this jacket since I got here. But if I take it off to make them happy, that just makes me weak, right? And his friend says, in some really wise words for network TV. His friend says, listen, it doesn't matter. You lose the jacket to please them. You keep it on to make them angry. Either way, it's for them. That's what's weak. I think we've really hit on something here. That we are so concerned about being perceived as weak that we miss the terrible truth of our situation. We are weak. We are totally at the mercy of what other people think of us. We desperately want to be popular, successful, well-liked. We want to have good relationships with our siblings, spouses, and co-workers. We want to be functional adults who can handle the things that life throws at us. We want to be able to move on from the terrible mistakes of our lives that we just seem to not be able to do it. We summon all of our strengths, we attack the day, and we wake up the next morning with most of the same problems and weaknesses that we had yesterday. This is why many of us feel so alone, right? We, we 
we wonder why anybody would want to be with somebody who has such weaknesses, the, the weaknesses that we have. And we assume, of course, that God must be the same way. God is a winner, right? The consummate winner. He's powerful. He's victorious. He's glorious. What would he want to have to do with a loser like us? But that's not actually what God says. God says something quite different. And all of a sudden, that news that sounded bad when we were pretending to be strong sounds like amazingly good news once we admit that we're weak. God's power is made perfect in weakness. You see, there's a simple mathematics happening here. As our opinion of ourselves, of our strength, rises, in other words, as we work to convince ourselves that we are not weak, our awareness of our need for Jesus, or help in any, of any kind, in other words, the power of God, falls. Right? The stronger we are, the less help we need. But when we have those moments of bracing honesty, in our lives, when the veil we've hung in front of ourselves gets ripped away, when we have to come to grips with how weak we really are, our realization of our need comes through. And Jesus' power is made perfect in us. So this weekend, we celebrate our freedom. And make no mistake, in Christ, we are free. It is for freedom that he has set us free. But we are left with a question. When Jesus says that it's for freedom that he has set us free, what is it that we are now free to do? Who are we free to be? Now, as we consider the incredible freedom offered to us in Christ, let us remember that God's grace is sufficient for us and that his power is made perfect in weakness. So as Christians, our freedom is not given to us so that we can assert our greatness, so that we can assert our strength. No. We've been given the freedom to admit our need. Your God is strong. So you are free to be weak. Your God is great. So you are free to be not so great. Your God is exceptional. So you are free to be normal. Your God is a winner. So you are free to be a loser. Your God is everything. So you are free to be nothing. In Christ, your God is a savior, so you are free to stop trying to save yourself. In Christ, God has given his goodness to you, so you are free to be. Well, you're just free to be. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that all of these things that you're not, all of your failures, all the thorns in your side, all the ways that you're not who you wish you were, these things have all been laid on Jesus' shoulders 
taken to the cross, and nailed there forever. In their place, you now possess Christ's success, Christ's strength, Christ's goodness, Christ's perfection. There is no work left to do. Christ has accomplished it all, leaving you free in one more way. In Jesus, you are free to celebrate. Amen.